1: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Wednesday, May third, and I'm answering your questions like I normally do here on the DFS pregame show. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. What does Fix, Suki Singh, Barbie, real life pitcher, all the all the regulars, the regulars here, eleven o'clock in the morning. Green Bean Bill, he's not a regular, but what's up? What's up to you? Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the thummy thumbs. Hit the thummy thumbs. It helps us out. It helps it. They tell me it helps. It helps us out, right? This is free content, right? This isn't behind the paywall. You can subscribe to Roto-Grinders. You can get Lineup HQ. You can get the projections. You can get Cheese's uh, uh, Million Dollar Musings. You can get all this type of stuff, especially for MLB. Just click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. Join us in the Discord, right? We have a premium Discord. I have my own channel in there. You could, you could ask me questions there anytime you want. We have a coaching call. I do that like mm, about twice a month. Uh, we have that at five o'clock, five o'clock Eastern uh, today. So you could always just hop on Zoom. You could share your screen. You could, I mean, it's, it's more individualized help, right? It's not recorded, right? So you feel free to share whatever you'd like. Typically we have little small groups, you know, five to 10 people in there talking about stuff, answering your stuff, whatever, whatever you want, right? I'm, I'm, I'm available all the time right i'm here i'm here monday through friday answering your questions right you could submit your questions questions at theoryofdfs.com i will be co- i do cover those on the show right this is unstructured learning right the structured version is just get the get the courses theoryofdfs.com get the fundamentals masterclass how to think like a professional dfs player 15 hours long then the theory of dfs for advanced players which is 6 hours long plus custom excel tools that i use that james cool has developed 21 hours in total you you would learn everything you would learn everything everything you need right and then if you, you need any further clarification I'm always in the roto Granders discord in my own channel right just get to the, go there ask me whatever right I, I I walk through people i sometimes spend too much time going through step by step trying to get you to understand concepts. Right. It's more important to understand concepts. There's no correct answers. Stop looking for the correct answer. There's no such thing as a correct answer. Only because you're balancing numerous variables. You're always balancing numerous variables. And you're also balancing numerous variables based on your personal circumstances. Which includes where you play, how much you play, right? Your strengths and weaknesses, Right? Oh, I'm strong at this. I'm strong at this sport. I'm not strong at that sport. Well, that means you're probably playing different contests, right? What are soft contests? Well, they're just contests where a bulk of the people in the contest are playing in a suboptimal way in comparison to how you your strength is, right? So it's all dependent on on, on that, right? When when I when I say that my my strength is in is in ownership and leverage. Well, if yours isn't, like, then you, you can't play the way that I play as accurately, as as profitably in the contest that I play that maybe you're better off playing some other contest. There's edge everywhere. Just a matter of where you take it. So you always have to be balancing these variables. So there's no, there's no correct answer. There's no, num- you have to understand why. You have to understand why the variables move in certain ways. Okay. And then determine for yourself. Right? Determine for yourself. Like what where where should I deploy my capital? For some people, it's contest that I would never play. For some people, it's contests that I do play. And sports, right? you should play NHL. It's like a lot. Of, I'm not, I don't play NHL. I could learn it, but I don't find it worthwhile to do so. So I don't. Right. So whenever you ask questions, you can't you can't ask questions as if there's a correct answer. It sounds weird. Right. Oh, I'm going to ask a question. And and what do you mean? There's no correct answer. Yeah. Remember the two rules. The two rules of asking questions. Right. In DFS. You know, it's a bad question where it could be answered by a yes or a no, or it can be answered by an exact number, because there's no there's no question that that you you're you're posing a question that is too limited. That it's like in poker, like if you know poker. And someone came up to me and said, "What do you do with Ace Queen?" Well, how do I answer that question? Like it depends. It's it's usually a playable hand. It's usually. Well, what do you do with Ace Queen? It's like, well, what position? What are we talking pre flop? what what position are you in? Right? How many hand? How many how many handed is your game playing? Right? How how many hand? How many how many people are playing? Is it a nine handed game? Is it a five handed game? What position are you in? What what are the types of players at the table? Are you playing no limit? Are you playing limit? If you're playing no limit, what are the stack sizes? Right? What has happened before you? Well, there's been three limps to me. Or there's been three raises to me. Well, that's a big difference. There's a big difference. In one scenario, in a lot of in most, in most cases, you're raising. In the other scenario, you're folding most of the time. Right. But even then, I'm saying most. I'm not even saying all. There's no correct answer. There's no all. Dude, you may be at a wild table with with complete maniacs that are just gambling it up. And it goes raise, raise, raise. And you look down at ace, queen, offsuit. And it's quite possible you have the best hand right here. It's quite possible. But maybe you're playing with short stacks, right? And if you're playing with short stacks, right, it goes raise, raise, raise. And next thing you know, you know, in order for you to raise, it's going to be, you know, Three quarters of your stack, well, you're, you're just you're shoving all your chips in, if you're going to raise. But let's say you're playing with uh, eight hundred big blinds. Well, now, now the, now the situation becomes much different. Do you call in that spot? I mean, like this is what I mean by there's no there's no correct answer. You can't just say what do you do with Ace Queen. But a lot of questions that people have in DFS come from that. Well, what do you do here? What 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 are the best contests to play? Like, what there's no correct answer to that. There's none because I got, I got a question today, so let's talk talk it through. There's more there's more of an uh, activity, so it can help you with the mindset of how to approach DFS as 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 a, as a pro as a problem solving exercise. Because once you approach it from a problem solving basis, that you're that you're 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 approaching it not as if there is no correct answer, other than there are more likely less likelies. They're depending on X, Y, and Z. What are the X, Y, and Z? So the question was, I got in an in RG Discord in my channel this morning. I remember you saying that GPPs, you want first place to be no more than 20% of the prize pool and then 10th place to be at least 10% of first place. What is the lowest percentage of payout to first? You should consider if 10th place is still paying out greater to or equal to 10%. Well, that, that's the that's the question that that's being that's being asked let's get to the first part of the question okay i remember in gpp's you want first place to be no more than 20% of the prize pool why why Why? and what does it first off what does it matter what i want it doesn't matter what i want but why what is the difference between a contest that pays 20% of the prize pool to first or pays 33% of the prize pool to first? Or pays 50% of the prize pool to first? Or pays 5% of the prize pool to first? What does that matter? If you can't answer that question, then the, you're, 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 you're all, all of a sudden your question shows that you're not thinking about DFS properly. You're not thinking about the game. A game. You're not approaching any game properly. Or any problem properly. Don't look for contests that have no more than 20% of the prize pool to first place just because I said so. I play plenty of contests that have way more than that to first place. I play MMA large field contests. 33% is to first place. What does that mean? Why would someone choose to play a contest that is way top heavy to first Versus not top heavy to first, not as top heavy to first. What would be the reason? You could put it in the YouTube chat if you want, if you can answer. Why would one want to play one over the other? And the second part, depending on how much, pay, how what percentage pays out the first, how does that change the way that you play that content? So, for instance, if it's ten percent to first place, it's very flat up top, right? Like the think of the one twenty one, single entry on DraftKings five K to first, four K to second, like thirty five hundred to third. Like it's it's really right. It's five K to first, and I think it's still like by the time you get to tenth place, I still think it's like eight hundred bucks. It's like it's not. It's more than ten percent of first place. Like it's it's really that first to tenth, that first to twentieth. It, it's pretty pretty flat in comparison to like the 88 dollar multi-entry contest where it's 20k to first 10k to second 5k to third 3k to fourth i mean like by the time you get to 10th it's like 200 bucks or whatever maybe 400 bucks or something but 20k to first why would one want to play one over the other and how would how would you playing that contest change what lineup construction you make okay so let's get into the the the, the, the easier question or the, the the less less important question of how what's the difference in the lineups that you make the more that there's equity towards first place the more important it is that you get it the difference between first and third in the 20k to first 5k to third Is much different than 5K to first and 3,500 to third or 3K to third. Okay. So it becomes more and more important. First place, first place, first place. Now you should probably, most of the equity is always in first place anyway, but the disparity between first and second and third and fourth is so dramatic that I'd side, but it'd be more optimal to side on Getting increased leverage, increased correlation. You want to increase. If you'd rather have too much variance in your lineup than have too little, right? Fine. So I win by fifteen points, right? I'd rather err on that side. Only cause cost... aiming aiming for like, oh, maybe I can come in the top thirty is just not is not good. You will not be profitable. You need first place in those types of contests. So in those contests. You're probably building lineups that you're probably you're exploiting the fact that a lot of the field are either building lineups that are too high owned or too low projected. The low projected lineups that are low owned are actually a little bit better in this contest. Right, not the high owned ones. You want to throw in your cash lineup into that type of top heavy twenty k to first ten places garbage? Like you, you 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 you're you're going to be very unprofitable. You'd much rather have the, the, I'll sacrifice 30 points in projection and, and have barely any ownership and stack against the, the chalkiest pitch. You'd rather do that than play cash lineups in that contest. Right? Even if you're over leveraged. Because first place is so much. And secondly, because the difference of first and fourth is dramatic the variance of your results are going to be very, very high. right you can play a whole season and it, the difference in your your the profit in your whole season will be did you come in first or second that one time you got up there? right? right? you played every day, you played 150 slates, you had a seventh, you had an 11th, and you had a second. And he had second by two and a half points. So if one of your players just hit another single or something, you would have went from 10k to 20k, and that extra 10,000 dollars was the difference between you being profitable that entire season or not. Like that's how much variance there, is, right? Because the the steps are so so dramatic, and because of that, you probably you probably want to be playing less percentage of your bankroll, unless you don't mind the risk, right? When it comes to bankroll, it's a matter of what's your risk tolerance. If you don't mind going broke, then you can risk more. If you heavily mind going broke, then you should risk less. That's up to you. What is the you're balancing out risk of ruin versus reward? Me, I, I lean towards the minimizing risk of ruin than maximizing my my return. That's me. You may be in a position where it's like, no, I'm going to play 10% of my bankroll every day. Even though like half the time I go broke. After, by, within three years, I go broke. Within a year, I go broke. And That's fine. Understand that in contests with that top heavy of a payout, your risk of ruin goes up. Because the variance goes up. Now compare that to the 121 or something. Single entry, 5K to first, 4K to second. Yeah, Only 10% to first place. 15% to 10th place. I mean, like it's a, a first place, 5,000, 4,000, 3,500, 3,000, 3, 2,000. Like really, really flat up there. And only 5K to first. So what does that mean in comparison? It means if you came in second instead of first, that's not as dramatic. 20K to 10K is much more dramatic than 5K to... 3500 4000 Probably your season is not going to be dependent on did you come in first or second one time. In fact, that it it's flat enough up there that you come in your 7th place, your 11th place, you came in 4th place. Maybe you never come in first or second, and you can still be profitable in that contest. And also, because the first place payout is only $5,000, For a similar entry fee and a similar field size to the $88 contest. You probably shouldn't be playing lineups that are like absurdly leverage. I mean, like like the higher own lineups actually show, could show higher EV. They're probably negative EV still. Like throwing in your cash lineup is negative EV, but not as negative EV. Because the payout structure is flat. So in those kinds of 121. You're more likely to play lineups that like you're not you're not playing lineups that sacrifice 30 plus points of projection. You're probably not, you know, taking five man stacks of the 2.79 implied team total team. You're probably not. You don't have to. And when the when that lineup does win first, it probably wins first in the large field contest, also. For fifty to one hundred thousand dollars, so you, much, you would have been much better putting it in that contest than playing it in the one twenty one. Doesn't mean you play like chalk in the one twenty one. No, but you're probably you're probably playing a stack of one of like the top five teams or something. You probably you're probably playing two of the three or four chalkier pitchers. You probably are. You only need to beat like four hundred to six hundred people, and the payout structure is much flatter. So playing that one own pitcher that sacrifices 10 points in projection, like when you're right, you get, oh, you're getting $5,000 instead of $20,000 or $50,000. And if you're playing that contest and you're playing it well, right, by playing plus EV lineups, you don't need as big of a bankroll, right? It's a, it's a $121 contest, right? but you should be you should be cashing enough when you come in 12th place that means something when you come in fifth place that means something oh well i came in fifth instead of third well you didn't it's only a difference of 750 bucks maybe i came in second instead of first that's a thousand dollar difference that's it that's not going to make or break your season you come in the top one percent you come in the top two percent enough you'll be profitable even without a win which means you could play it on a smaller you could play uh a bigger percentage of your bankroll. Like if you if if 121 is like 3%, 4% of your bank, okay, that's survivable. Well, in the $88 contest, you probably you probably to balance out the same risk of ruin would play like 1% of your bankroll or less. And that's and and when I mention those figures, that's all dependent on your own personal risk tolerance. There's no like there's no correct answer to that. So why would one? want to play a contest that's 20 percent like the flatter the payout structure up top the less variance there will be in your results less variance in not in your results in in the payouts in realizing the EV right you don't have to come in you it's not you you don't have to come in first and to be profitable which means your bankroll will be much more stable but what's the trade-off of that? Is that well if you come in first it's 5 grand not 100 grand. Right? That's the sacrifice, right? It's not, it's not that's not never all pluses. That's why there's no correct answer to anything. Your trade-off of 20 plus different variables. So it's like you want first place to be no more than 20% of the prize pool. No, I for my personal playing style, yes. I would prefer if large field contests were flatter. That's what I would prefer based on my risk tolerance and my bankroll and my playing style. Yes. I, I would prefer it then. I would be much more likely to play 50, 100 lineups in a contest. If the large field contest was 25,000 a first, 15,000 a second, 12,500 to third, 10,000 to fourth. Seventy-five hundred, eight thousand to fifth. Like, and it, if it w- it was. If the top twenty was much more flatter, I'm fine with eliminating like the the twenty-fifth percentile, one point five x type of stuff. Cut it off and only pay out the top eighteen percent. That's fine. That's fine with me. Pay only the top fifteen percent. I'm fine with that also. But make top make first to the twentieth. Make the top end so it's like. I can come in seventh and not feel like, oh, okay, well, that's still a losing day, right? Now, that's lo- that lowers my edge. The reason why that you have such a high expected value in these large field contests, like the Millie Maker, the highest EV contest there is, because people don't build to win a million dollars. They would. They, too many high-owned lineups and too many low-projected lineups. Take a look at that contest. You'll find 30, 40% of lineups that are like, I don't know how this wins first place. Either it's like way too low projected or it's like you're playing a cash lineup. Like you're you're literally duped eight times in this contest. A lot of edge there, but it's a million to first and 100,000 a second. And by the time you get to 10th, it's who cares? How much of a bankroll do you need to survive playing 150 lineups into that? You've been playing one lineup into that. You have heavy edge, and it's because it's so top-heavy. In fact, if they made it less top-heavy, the people that play, like, the two high-owned lineups actually gain some EV. And the people that play two low-projected lineups lose even more EV. So how would you play that contest differently if the Millie Maker wasn't a Millie Maker, and it just, oh, we're going uh, to pay $50,000 a first, and then $45,000 a second and then 40,000 if they like if it was really flat up top that actually takes away your edge if you're someone that knows how to build good large field lineups it does take away your edge but it does reduce your variance trade-offs did you remember what i said before there's all these variables that you're considering positive on one is a negative on the other and then depending on how what your situation what your bankroll what your risk tolerance, and what your strengths and weaknesses are, you may determine that I want to put my money here. I want to put my money there. I know on DraftKings that they have some of these like 23-man winner-take-all contests, right? I see them, right? I don't play them. 23-man winner-take-all. If I told you I don't play these contests, does it mean you shouldn't play these contests? There's an edge in those contests. I'm assuming if you look in, you'll probably find that there's some people that are literally just trying to, like, throwing in their cash lineup, Or they're just playing, like, the highest projected five-man stack and two pitches or something like that. There's probably some some condensed ownership that if it's like, oh, well, if I just don't do that, like, I gain an edge. And maybe out of the 23 people, you have at what, a 23-to-1 chance of winning first. If everyone was equally skilled. Maybe you could reduce that to like 16 to 1. And once you add the rake. Maybe you have a, it's a 10% ROI or something. Like you could play those. But you have to play. If you're going to go in and go. I'm really good at building cash lineups. I'm really bad at building lineups. For small field winner take all contests. Well then don't play them. Then you don't have an edge in those contests. Where does the edge come from? The edge comes from the fact that it is winner take all, and many of your opponents are not playing to win first place. But maybe you could go, I don't know, I haven't seen these contests. Go in the go, look at the contest. Maybe it turns out you look in that contest and download the CSV. It's like, no, no, everyone's trying to win first place. So it's like, well. If everyone's kind of playing a lineup that, you know, has enough variance to win first place, is there an edge in this contest at all? And how do I exploit that if there is an edge? Now, if you're someone that's good at doing that, then play those contests. Understand though, in a winner 23-man winner take all, it would be, you would be amazing if you could win once every 15 days as opposed to once every 23 days. But that would be good. Once every fifteen days, right? You'd end up with a profit, right? Because once the rake comes on, three people count for the rake, right? And then if you're one out of one out of fifteen versus one out of twenty, like you, you'll make some money, right? But let's say you let's say you're playing fifty uh, percent of your bankroll and doing that, right? Let's say there's a whole bunch of 23, obviously at different levels or whatever the hell. Let's say let's say ten thousand dollars. I'm going to play 15% of my bankroll. So five that understand you're probably going to lose on average at least 10 days in a row most of the time. Right? You're not going to win, you're going to win one out of 15. So let's say let's say let's say you don't win for 10 days and you play 15 50% of your bankroll. I'm going to play 10,000 up now I have 5,000. Up now I have 2,500. Up now I have 1,250. Up now I have 625. Up now, I have three oh whatever three twelve. Up, I have one sixty. Right, uh, and then then you then you win, winner take all, and now you have like like two grand. It's like well, you played fifty percent of your bet. Like you can, it'll be great if like oh yeah, if the first day ten thousand dollars, oh, winner take all. Now I have uh, now I have a hundred thousand dollars or whatever there would be fifty thousand dollars. Well, no, it wouldn't be that much. Depending on, I mean, you wouldn't be able to get volume in at $10,000. at All all these winner-take-all contests. So in a winner-take-all, that type, those type of contests, what's your risk of ruin of playing 50% of your bankroll? Absurdly high, extremely high. It's almost inevitable that you're going to go broke or near. Obviously, you can't technically go broke, but essentially the point where you have less bankroll than what you can even enter in a contest. Are those contests good to play? Well, there's no correct answer to that. Do you see how there's no correct answer to that? You could you could play 50 percent of your bankroll in those contests. Just understand your risk of ruin is like 99. Doesn't mean you can't play them. If you don't mind, if you do not mind the 99 chance of going broke, then fucking do it. It's like, what happens if I want to have a much lower risk of ruin? It's like, well then, and you see an edge in those contests, right? It's like, oh, I see that I I I could exploit these people. It's like, okay, well, play 2% of your bank. Some some somewhere down there. You could you could put it into a Kelly calculator. After you play a certain while, maybe you're like, oh, okay, I should I should expect to win somewhere in the range of X amount of times, and then go, okay, according to even at half Kelly, like that's like 1.7% of my bank. Okay, and then if you want to increase your risk, then play more. If you want to lower your risk, play less. You first have to have a positive return. Can you play those 23-man winner-take-alls profitably? That's the first question. If you can't, it doesn't matter how much you risk. It doesn't matter. You're not profitable. Then at that point, how much, how much do you play? I mean, and then, then the third thing is the edge that you found in that contest for your strengths, right? In that contest, is it worth not having edge in some other contests? Where do you deploy your capital? Can't just get, I mean, you can, I'm going to play 1% of my bankroll here and 1% of my bankroll there and 2% of my bankroll here and 5% of my bankroll there, 10%. Next thing you know, like you're, next thing you know, you have $50,000 out in play of your fifty uh, of $60,000 bankroll. You're like, should you be doing that? You can, you can. Your risk of ruin is much way higher. So it's a matter of like, oh, okay. There are these winner take all contests, but there's only like $80 worth of them. And you plan on playing like $2,000 worth of volume. It's like, is it worth playing these $80 worth of winner take alls? Or can I put my $80 towards something else that may be better? Maybe more suited towards my strengths. Maybe there's a higher edge. Maybe on that given day, there's some place to put it better. Maybe there's a, oh, oh my God, this prop is way off. Like, dude, this prop is like two strikeouts off. And then you go, oh, well, I would normally be playing $500 worth of, normally I play $500 worth of DFS and like, I bet $100 on props. And then you see a prop that's two strikeouts off. And you go, I'm, maybe I don't play $500 in DFS that day. Maybe I just, I, I'm going to skip DFS. I'm going to put all my money in that. You know how much edge that is? So, okay, it's, I'll, I'll put $600 on that prop. Probably have to spread it around through, you know, three different sports books, but whatever you do that does that mean that oh well dfs sucks on that day it's like no you just found a different place to deploy your capital based on based on your strengths and weaknesses and sometimes sometimes the strength is simply just looking at projections right sometimes that's the strength so when you ask a question like you want this to be this like no for my bankroll and risk tolerance and how i play i would prefer flatter payout structures i don't need a million dollars i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to re- that maximize my ev and realize and win millions of dollars my goal is like fifth can i get 50 to 75000 dollars playing in any capacity dfs props prize picks political betting horse racing I don't care it doesn't matter I don't care if I'm betting on people skipping a stone on the, on the, the side of the river and I deploy my bankroll to make fifty to 75 thousand dollars this year what's the what's the easiest way to do that with the, the least amount of time and the least amount of risk like that's my personal goal that's what I play for so to me variance reduction is is much more important I will I'll, I'll sacrifice Edge right like I said the mill, the millimaker in the NFL is the highest edge contest there is there's so many bad lineups in there but you but you're essentially you all of your EV realization comes from winning first place like that's like pretty much most of most if not all of where it comes from So am I gonna like? Am I gonna play three thousand dollars in that contest? Eighteen weeks out of the season, knowing that ninety nine percent of the time I'm losing like ten grand every year that I do that. If you're looking to maximize your return, then that's that's what you would do, and just hope you realize your EV before you're dead. You can. Would I? Would it be wise to do it with? 50% 50% of your bankroll? Well, if you don't mind the risk, sure, you could do it. But your risk of ruin is like 99%. You can. You can. There's no correct answer there. There's, there's literally no correct answer. If you're someone that's like, I'm going to take $1,000 discretionary income. And I'm looking to turn the $1,000 this year into $100,000. And I, I don't care if I lose the 1000 trying. Then go, take as many risks as you want. Go for it. You know know you're gonna go broke out of that thousand. This doesn't mean that this means that once you're done with the thousand, you're done with DFS. You're not adding any more or whatever. But if you want to take shots, go. That's up to you. If you're the type of person that likes playing and is very good at building high-leverage lineups that exploit the field, you want to play large field contest. That's what I did in the past. That's literally what I... I mean, I made most of my bankroll playing large field contests, losing 90% of the time. And then bang, 50K. Bang, 30K. Bang, 100K. Because my strength is in... is in, in, GPPs is typically building high leverage lineups. But I know that the variance is ridiculous. So you go through stretches where, where it's like... All you're doing is losing and losing and losing and losing and losing. And then you come in eighth. It's like, well, that didn't do anything. Like eighth out of 27,000 entries and it's still, yay, I made $800 today. woo You come in third and it's like, that still isn't enough. That's why I wouldn't play 150 lineups. I'd play 50 lineups. It'll reduce my variance a little bit more. And I play even more exploitatively, which means I lose even more than ninety percent of the time. You do that for a long time, yeah. I built my bankroll doing that, but the swings are—you're gonna lose, 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 lose. The bang, lose, 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 bing. I mean, like, and it could be months, months upon months of losing. And you're playing well. It's not like you're playing badly. You're playing well. You just have to wait to realize your EV survive variance which means you have to play with yeah you don't have to but if you want to reduce your risk of ruin play with a small percentage of your bankroll you're going to play 20 of your bankroll like that good, good luck you know you don't those people don't exist anymore well what happened to those people well they, that's why they don't exist anymore what happened to so-and-so i used to see him five years ago he was 115 at this this yeah He's not, he wasn't a bad play. He didn't, he didn't go broke because he was a bad player. He went broke because he was playing too big, too big percentage of a bankroll. He didn't survive variance. So now he's onto something else. That doesn't make what he did incorrect. You just had a bigger, you have a higher tolerance for risk. Some people have a high tolerance for risk. And next thing you know, they're in the top of the RG leaderboards becomes like survivorship bias so when you ask like what is the lowest percentage of payout to first you should consider if 10 place is still paying out greater to 10 like there's no correct answer to that question seven i mean like if i just gave a number like what that, that doesn't mean anything imagine asking that question and then if i asked you it's like do you know how to build good lineups and they go no i've no i've I've never played DFS proper profitably in eight years. But I said, so the answer to that question doesn't matter anymore. Right? Well, what contest should I play? It's like, well, what are your strengths? It's like, well, I have no strengths. I lose all the time. And I take a look at their lineups, and yes, they constantly play negative EV lineups. Well, then the answer doesn't matter. <laughs> you're an unprofitable player in any format. So whether or not the prize pool is that, in fact, because you're a negative EV player, you should probably try to play contests that have absurdly top-heavy payout structures, right? Because you have to get you you're gonna have to get lucky, right? You're gonna have to survive the odds, right? Right? And you 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 want as low of a sample size as possible, right? You're gonna get lucky. So yeah, hopefully you get lucky for five hundred thousand dollars and not just five thousand dollars. That's the only way that you're gonna end up making up for all the losing that you're doing. So you see, there's no correct answer. There's no correct answer to that question. There's no correct answer to the most questions in DFS. One positive for one thing is a negative on another. And it depends on what you do. Right? It depends on your opponents, and that's another thing. It depends on your opponent. What are the softest contests? Well, there's no answer to that question either. I call the 121 single entry in MLB, because we're in MLB season, to be the softest contest. It has some of the sharpest people in there. It's not soft because of the the, the people. If you looked at the usernames in that contest, you'd find a lot of the sharpest players. But many of them play that contest specifically suboptimally. Only because they're not paying attention. So the softness comes into the inattention of your opponents. Not because they're bad. They're bad in that contest. Because they're playing a lineup that shouldn't be in that contest. It's a lineup that they're playing in all these other contests. And they're also putting it in here. Imagine playing your cash. like You have a double up lineup and you play in the $15 relay throw. Like the double up contest, right? Plus EV, $15 isn't. Some people throw it in. I'll throw in my cash line of my one, 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 whatever cash line up to the $15 contest. Just in case. Said, it's probably negative EV, right? It's probably, I don't know why you're doing it. Just for peace of mind. Some people are like, hey, the negative EV is worth my peace of mind. Okay, then that's up to you. You're playing a high owned, you're playing one of the bad lineups, right? What's a bad lineup in a GPP? A large field, top heavy GPP. Lineups are too high owned or too low projected, right? We talk about this all the time. You don't want to play those bad lineups. Yeah, but I want to throw it in. Okay. Well, you have to know that for that contest, it's a bad lineup. For the double up, it's a good lineup. It's a plus EV lineup. Be profitable. So they're doing the same thing. You have people like McLovin and BK Reader. Everyone in the lobby, right? They're just throwing in whatever lineup they're playing in, like, the Thunderdome into the 121. Next thing you know, the pit, the 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 pit, the hot SP1 is 92% owned, and you have a 74% one-off Mike Trout, right, in the contest. And you go, you know how easy it is to exploit this shit? If you're good at doing that, then, yeah, sure, do it. That's why it's soft. That's... Different than why the large field contest is soft. Large field contest, the same exact contest. That ninety-two percent owned starting pitcher may only be thirty-eight percent owned, and it may be like, wow, I can't believe only thirty-eight percent of people are playing the pitcher that's ten points higher projected than everyone. How many have been playing a line of liners with that guy? Well, I can't believe Mike Trout's only fifteen percent owned. He should be twenty-two percent owned. in no, the one twenty-one, he's seventy-four percent owned, and I just said, screw that, I'll play someone else. Right, they're soft in different different areas. So softness is in based on your strengths versus the weaknesses of your opponents. And sharp players could have weaknesses. Soft, bad players can have strengths. Dude, imagine playing a three man. Okay, you're playing a three man. Let's you go to the three man lobby. This this happens all the time. Okay, perfect example of a bad player actually playing better than the two sharp players. So you go to the three man lobby, right? You find you find BK Reader, right? Sitting there, one out of three in a five man, five dollar three man. So you go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play some three mans, right? You're someone that plays double ups and head to heads or whatever. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna play these three mans. So BK Reader's in there, you're in there, and then some rando, some guy, some person, some whatever, no badge, no nothing, probably just banging their head against the keyboard, right? Right. Most likely not a good, not, not, not a, a well-versed DFS player, probably doesn't have projections, probably doesn't have, making a lineup on the toilet. Do you see a scenario, do you see a scenario where that player, that third player in the contest Actually, has the highest EV. Do you see? Do you see how that could, how it could happen, and how actually sometimes it often happens that the third player, it's BK Reader and McLovin, and then the third player is just random Joe. That's basically just p- get, b- building a 50k lineup and just basically randomly picking people. They're spending 50K. They're spending, you know, all their salary. Do you see how it's possible that that player actually is the sharpest player in the three-man? From, from an edge perspective. Actually, McLovin and BK Reader are negative EV. Why could that be the case? Because McLovin is playing, you know, the, whatever the, you know, the, I'm going to just let me just click. You know, they're playing, right? They look at, they're playing C. Gilbert, they're playing this lineup that's here, right? What's the highest medium projected lineup, right? 118.77, right? So McLovin's playing this. They're playing Cease, Gilbert, Contreras, Boyd, Caballero, Anderson, Adamas, Jimenez, Duran, Gritchett, right? That's what they're, that's what McLovin's playing. You know what BK Reader's playing? Practically the same lineup, right? Playing, maybe it's a 2v2. Maybe instead of instead of Voigt, they're playing whoever. whatever. I mean, I don't know what's going on in today's slate. They're playing a two v two. That's projected for like one eighteen point five, right? Maybe two points lower or something, but based on their projections or whatever. The third guy, the random schmuck, Jan just bang, beat, uh, bangs their head against the table against the keyboard. And he ends up playing a lineup that's eight points lower projected, median-wise, to this line. For whatever, no projections, no nothing. Just it ends up being eight points lower projected. But he's getting paid three X, right? He's a three man. And McLovin and BK Reader both have practically the same lineup. So it turns out this is this is the same thing that I've described. You know, the triple up, the three X, the five X strategy of if you if you know your opponents are going to be duplicating or very close to duplicating combinatorically like dude you could sacrifice a whole bunch of projection and make sure that you're you know you're a good 6v6 off of them at a decent projection as long as you can pay paid 3x 4x 5x like find those contests and you could exploit them because <coughs> they're playing that con- they're they're playing this lineup in the five thousand dollar head-to-heads into the you know th- those types of contests they're not looking at five dollar three mans, and it turns out that the schmuck that's playing the lineup that's eight points low projected actually has the highest EV in the contest because they're not they're not being made aware that McLovin isn't aware of BK Reader playing almost the same lineup and vice versa, but they're playing fifty thousand dollars worth of volume, so at the lowest levels they're not paying attention, so it's quite possible that. The weakest player, right? Some rando is the sharpest one in that contest. So you can't judge it by like, oh, well, let me take a look at who's in the contest. Oh, well, I I see two random people in there. I should play this contest. You know, you have to play it optimally for the people that are in there. Are you doing so? If you're playing an 11-man double up with all sharp people, with all experienced people and you're just going, well, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play the bad optimal lineup. Like you're probably going to lose money to the rake. If you're playing against the if you're playing against 10 opponents in a double up that all have some head on their shoulders, that they're probably going to be playing one of the higher projected lineups in any projection model. Like where's the edge? You're paying what 12% rake or something like do you, no one has an edge. You have to wait for like two people in that contest to like discernibly be way off of that type of lineup for you to have an advantage. So what? What kind? Oh, would that be the 11 man?s Would that be the 23 man?s Would that be the 54 man?s Should that be the like? There's no answer to that question. You have to look at the contest. Then why do people say if you're going to play double ups, play the largest single entry double ups you can? Well, that's a heuristic. That's not a, those are the softest contests. It's that when there's a 229-man single-entry $5 double up, like how many how many McLovin's and BK Readers and are there in the lobby? There aren't 229 of them, I can tell you that. So if you're playing an 11-man double up, it's, it, you're more likely, not saying you're guaranteed, you're more likely to find that you're playing against 10 other players of the same caliber as you. Right? And there's no edge in that. If you can click through, maybe you find maybe an 11-man double. You say, oh, there's six people I've never heard of in here. Okay, then go. Have fun. The 229-man double? You're inevitably going to find 15% of entrants that are like, who are these people? Only because there's just more people. That's, That's the reason it could be the 229 man single entry double up you click on and you, you you look at the csv later and you go wow even the people i haven't heard of are still building good lineups maybe it turns out that contest isn't soft at all but it's more likely to be because the sharper players overall could only put in one entry and there's 229 an 11 man it's Typically, you're going to go, you're going to look at all the 11 mans and see the same. All these 11 mans are like eight eight out of 11, eight out of 11, eight out of 11, eight out of 11, and you look and it's the same eight people.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Wire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey?
0: (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: You're playing against the the, the same people that play like every contest in the lobby. You can exploit that if there's an exploit on that. But for the most part, you're playing against sharper players in those contests. So what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What is your bankroll? What is your risk tolerance? What are your goals in DFS? I want to take $100 and make $17 trillion. Okay, Okay, that, that's a much different goal, which has to take on much more risk than i like to be able to make beer money. If I can make five grand, if I can pay for my family vacation, if I can make five grand, this little hobby, right? And you enjoy playing. You're just like, oh, I don't even, I like looking for two hours. And like, that's totally, two totally different mentalities. One isn't right and one isn't wrong. And like I said before, there's no like one of the best contests. Like all of the contests could be the best contest, depending on your strengths and weaknesses. Just like in poker. My natural strengths in poker, personally, of where I, where I make most of my money, where most of my edge comes from, is pre-flopping on the river. That's me, personally. Typically, I'm one of the tighter players at the table. I typically play my best starting hands very aggressively. I try to get in more money when I'm ahead pre-flop because I like, I'm typically playing against people that play too loosely. And then I'm very good at hand reading, which means you get more, the most amount of information by the river. So my 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 best streets are pre-flop and on the river. Catching bluffs on the river, thin value on the river, certain bet sizings on the river, replaying a hand and going, well, this guy can't have, I could raise here. I make most of my, most of my edge comes from pre-flop in the river. But that may not be you, right? And it may not suit certain games, right? Are you playing a nine-handed game? Are you playing a five-handed game? Like, like for, for instance, for instance, if if you get these poker references, I would prefer personally, in no limit for no limit we're talking about no limit holdem i would personally prefer to play a 10-handed game with 3 blinds personally it suits my where i have the most edge right where i could when i can make the most amount of money why is that like i the game that i normally play in live is 8-handed with 2 blinds like I'd much rather play two, three, five, one, two, five, one, two, ten, two, five, ten. Why is that? Why do I want three blinds? On average, most people play out of the blinds poorly. So if I'm playing with weaker players that play too many hands, they play even more, too many hands out of the blinds, out of position. So I want as many of them as possible. Right? Why do I prefer ten-handed over six-handed? Prefer. It doesn't mean I can't play six-handed or five-handed. It's just different. Well, because at that stakes, the lower stakes, the 2-5 level, people still play too, too many hands. So The more players at the table, the, the, your, 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 uh, the amount of money you're giving up by playing too many hands goes goes even more. When you're limping in with king eight offsuit, under the gun plus one in a ten-handed game with three blinds, which makes it even more you're more incentivized to raise because there's more money in the pot. Yet most of the player pool at that level will play even more suboptimally. And me, I could just sit there and wait for good hands, and then play them aggressively. Bore. Some of the, some of the, sometimes it's boring. But there are also times that I, I'd i much rather, I could also play in a five-handed game with a bunch of weak type players, right? Five-handed game, it's five-handed and I'm playing against four opponents that are acting as if we're playing 10-handed. And let, no, even better, a five-handed game with an ante. So not only is it like two-five, it's two-five with a dollar ante from everyone makes you even more incentivized to raise and you're playing against four opponents that are playing way too weakly they're playing a five-handed game as if it's a full ring game and they're not defending on the flop nearly as high enough you know how easy it is to run over that game like i'd be raising almost every hand and that's what i do do in those scenarios Right, hands, a uh, king nine suited under the gun in a five-handed game, that's a hand that you raise with. Yet you're playing with people that are, they're literally limping in on the button with ace-jack. Right, you know how much money they're giving up? Right, and then you're, you're c-betting flops, right? You raise on the, this is, this, 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 you'll see this all, you'll see this in these types of games. The game's played in shorthanded and against very weak opponents. It goes fold, fold, you're on the button with God knows what. And the big blind defends. And the board comes down queen nine five rainbow. And the guy in the big blind has like let ace nine. He checks it to you. You bet full pot and he folds. It's like if he folds there on a queen nine five board and he has ace nine, like it, it's just a license to steal. Like he should be defending like should be, should be defending like seventy-five percent of the time, but he's not. So you just you just run over the game. Now, if it's five-handed and it's the, my four opponents are loose aggressive players, well, that that type of strategy kind of goes out the window, right? Now, now you're more likely to step back. But what is your strength? What is your personal strengths and personal weaknesses? If I'm gonna play, if I'm gonna play against loose aggressive players. That are wildly loose aggressive, like not smartly loose and aggressive. I'd much rather play in a ten. Give me a ten-handed game. Good luck with that. Good luck. Good luck playing that lag style in a ten-handed game, and with with no ante and two blinds, and and people that and people that call and, and people that call out of position too much. Good luck with that. Five-handed, your advantage is much higher, right? So what is your own personal strengths and weaknesses? Now, if you're that type of player, you're a loose, aggressive player, what is your more, more profitable streets? The flop and the turn. That would be your profitable streets because if the one wouldn't be pre-flop, you're playing way too many hands. You can't play that many hands <laughs> profitably. And on the river, you're bleeding money because people are calling you too much on bluffs. Right, you're bluffing too frequently. Right, so you're losing money there, especially expensive street where you're betting Half, two thirds of the pot, a pot sized bed, you're getting called too frequently. Right. So you're losing money. like, but if you, t- if you, but you see how in that example, I'd be like, well, how do you play ace queen? Like, dude, there's too many variables for me that there's no correct answer to that. Well, what, what is the softest game? Like in a card room? Is it two five? Is it five ten? Is it one two? Like generally, Generally, the higher the stakes you go, the better the players are. Generally, doesn't have to doesn't have to be true. I go to the card room right now. I can go to a card room right now, maybe not this one locally. And it could be that the the 1020 no limit game is the softest game in the room because there's like three whales there gambling it up. And you go to the 2-5 game, which is much lower stakes. And you're playing with, you know, you're playing nine-handed with eight people that are waiting for top ten starting hands, which means you could you could steal a bunch, but not as profitable. So what is the best what what is the best game? There's no answer to that question. I don't know what we're gonna title this. Asking good questions? I mean, that's kind of I mean, I don't know, like. How to ask good questions. If the questions are are involving, what do I consider X, Y, and Z? That that's much different than like once you start getting into like an answer that has a yes or no or an exact number. How much of this? How many unique players do you have? Like it becomes magic settings time. It becomes there's no such thing as that. Defix says, I spent my first year trying to build the perfect lineups. Once I started trying to play the right contest, I started having more success. Yeah, the right contest for how you're playing. Uh, let's see. Anything else in the chat? Trevor won 25,000 this weekend. A poker tournament, I guess. Okay, that's pretty good. Okay. So give me those thummy thumbs. But I hope you learn. You learn. I'm not, I'm not yelling at people. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, well, that's a dumb question. That's what, but that's why I get frustrated with the questions of like that those two things. Can it be answered with a yes or no? Can it be answered with an exact number? Like, if you're asking a question that involves any either of those two things, that means you're likely, like heuristically, right, you're, you're likely to have not grasped the basic concepts of how DFS is played. Right? The same reason why what are your build rules? Do you, How much randomness do you use? Do you use 12% randomness? How many unique players do you And I'm telling you, these are diversity settings. This is only to change the diversity of the lineups that you're getting out of a lineup builder. There's no correct any of this. There's no correct any... You don't even understand the purpose of the screen when you ask a question like that. Right? Build one plus EV lineup. Done. Build two plus EV lineups. Build three plus EV lineups. Build four but Then now get a builder to build those, those... Build 20 of them, and then now get the builder to build all 20 of them. Exactly. Now that I think that's going to be nearly impossible, but you should be able to come close. And then you go, okay, well, I need to get these 20 exact lineups. How, how do I plug what number? It's like, you look at your, your 20 lineups and you go, well, all 20 of these lineups are less than, are are less than 140% total owned. So you put in 140 here and you go, well, I I have 50% of this picture, so you put 50% there. Like, then you start seeing that once you put in, the, like, oh, this is how I get those 20 lineups. It's like, well, what if I just handed you 20 different lineups that were also EV? Like, how would you get those lineups? It's like, well, you may have to put in different numbers. Oh, oh you're reading your, so there's no magic settings? Let's say you say that uh, you think that... Uh, I'm going to take a lot of risk and I'm going to play the blue, a lot of blue Jays tonight. So it's like, okay, so play a lot but I, but I don't want, I want to play 20 lineups, five, 25 man stacks with the blue Jays, but I, I want a different three man secondary stack in all 20 of my lineups. Okay. So then it's, that's 5% of each other team. And depending on how you fit the players in your lineup, Different, you'll need to use different bitches. Said, what, what happens if you want to use a little bit above one and a little bit of the other? So add some randomness and see what happens. How much randomness? Whatever amount. Take a look at the lineups afterwards. All right? The screen is only for diversity. This is not a This This build setting screen on lineup HQ has nothing to do with strategy whatsoever. Whatsoever. Literally has no strategy involved whatsoever. All this is, is for diversity. That's it. That's it. So there's no correct, there's literally no correct numbers here. There's no incorrect numbers either. There's no nothing. Feel free to put 100% randomness. Now, if you put 100% randomness, what does that do? Okay, this comes back to the the very beginning. The very beginning question of like, you're just not, you don't even understand the concepts of what you're even asking. You want first place to be no more than 20%. You, I remember you saying that. So you're just going because I, I said it? Why would someone say that? Why would someone say you probably shouldn't put 100% randomness on your projections? Because you know what 100% randomness is? It means it's going to use anywhere from zero to God knows what. It's like basically saying, you know all your projections? We're just gonna treat them as if it's just a random number generator. Right? You I mean, you can do that. Just understand that the lineups that come out are gonna be all over the place. It's gonna treat every player the same as it's zero to a million. I mean, like it's gonna be it's gonna be stupid. Like, what's the point of projections if you can have hundred percent randomness? That that's what randomness does. How much randomness do I need? However, much that you need in order to get the diverse set of lineups that you want more diverse than before. That's it. How many unique players? Well, it depends on how much diversity you want in your portfolio. You can check, you can put all the numbers you want in there and get 150 negative EV lineups. This is not making any this is these these settings will not have anything to do with the expected value of your lineups. It all just do with the diversity of your portfolio. That's it. So when I, when I show that I'm like, I'm building candidate lineups, it's like I'm using diversity settings just so I can consider more types of lineups. So I can have 300, 600, 900, 1500 lineups. It's quite possible I have 1500 lineups and a thousand of them are bad. But 500 may be good. But I want to see a diverse set of constructions and different types and who would I get more of and less of and stuff like that. And then I'll weed it out from there. And that's what these diversity settings and the build rules are. So there's no correct. There's no correct answer. There's no. Well, what do you want to do? You put the numbers in that you, of what you're trying to accomplish. There's nothing that you put in, and you just press the build button. And oh yeah, I got I got 50 lineups. Let's throw them in, and I could do this every day like that. Like that's not the right mindset to have. That's a losing mindset. That's someone that does not grasp concepts they're looking for magic answers that don't exist but this person said this they're lying to you okay there's no magic buttons you'll do so much better if you stop looking for magic buttons the thing is is that people won't tell you that because then it's like well what are the answers it's like well there's a lot of answers there's a lot there's a lot of tough decisions that you have to make that don't matter right it's hard it's it's hard people don't want to hear that right i'm telling i'm telling you the truth when i say an mlb dfs once you trim off like the highest owned lineups and the lowest projected lineups you could probably make on this like how many how many Games are on the slate. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You could probably make somewhere 10, 15, 20,000 plus EV lineups for large field. If you play the large field contest, you could probably start right now and build 20,000 plus EV lineups that individually against the field would be profitable in the long run. And then you go, well, I'm only playing five. What five out of the 10,000 should I put? Whatever ones you want. Is it, is, is, the line, is it a bad lineup? You look at the contest that you're playing. You go, okay, what percentage of the contest are lineups that are either too high-owned or too low-projected? You go, oh, is it over the rake? The answer is yes. Then as long as you don't play a bad lineup, one of those types of lineups, you're probably going to be profitable. Long-term, right? And then you have to understand what long-term means. What does long-term mean? Long-term means... Oh, long-term means this season. No, no, long-term means 70 seasons. Okay. What's the difference between this plus EV lineup and that plus EV lineup? Probably very small. This this one would be slightly better than the other. It's like, so I'm going to play that one. I said, said uh, you can play either of them. It's like, but you said that this one is slightly better than the other. I said, that would be correct. The, in order for you to see the difference between those two lineups, this lineup, I'm going to tell you the one that lineup that's slightly better. After you've lived 74 lifetimes, right? After you've lived 74 lifetimes. So this is the this is the byproduct of you playing this lineup A over lineup B. Okay. Okay, so you have to decide. Do you play lineup A or lineup B? Lineup A makes you X amount of dollars long run. Lineup B, slightly less profitable. Right. So if you played lineup A, and I told you, after 74 lifetimes, you'll have an extra nickel in your pocket. A nickel. I'll give you, I'll give after 74 lifetimes, I will, I will hand deliver a shiny nickel, five cents in your hand. Just literally give you that five cents. And said, that's how much better lineup A is to lineup B. I'll give you, how about this? So you don't have to wait 74 lifetimes. I will give you a nickel. I will give you a portion of that nickel every slide. That so you play that lineup over that lineup. Okay, so I'm going to give you... I don't even know what it's going to look like. In 74 lifetimes, these little specs that I'm giving you will add up to a nickel. Okay? That's the difference between lineup A and lineup B. Said, so How much time are you spending on choosing between lineup A and lineup B? Is it worth 0.0001% of a nickel? Because technically, mathematically, one lineup is slightly better than the other. It is. Is it worth is it worth a fraction of a nickel? For you to think more than three seconds on it. No. No, it isn't. Are you playing one of the quote bad lineups? No. Then you're then you're good. Well, that doesn't help me pick between what... You're right, it doesn't. Welcome to DFS, especially in MLB. When the variance is so high and correlation is so strong that you could legitimately play any team you want, any two pitches you want. As long as the lineup projects for some decent amount versus its ownership, you're fine with almost anything. Just don't build the highest highest owned lineups and don't build the lowest projected lineup. Then people still have questions. They go, Well, how about I would 5-1 this and five, like dude dude? As long as you get the first thing right, the second thing, it's like, do you wanna have do you wanna have uh do you wanna have point oh 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 one percent of a of a of a dime every slate? Point like after 74 lifetimes, you will you will figure that the extra 10 minutes that you spent equals a shiny quarter. Go to the soda machine. Like it's 1953 and maybe you get a Coke for a quarter. It's like, well, how long did I spend to get that extra quarter? Well, 10 minutes a day, 100 days a year. And it's like, wow, I, I spent so long to, to eke out an, something that I can't, I can literally not even see in my roto tracker. That's what I'm telling you. People think it's this small sample Well, if I played this guy on this day and this guy's like, dude, this game is not played like that. Poker has poker has like a hundred times or more less variance than DFS. And poker has high variance. People, people can't handle the swings in poker. I go, geez, imagine getting your money in at four, getting your money in as a four to one favorite. Like, dude, that doesn't even exist in DFS. (laughs) Like, 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 dude, like I've lost, like, I think last month, I lost aces versus kings pre-flop, right? I had aces, the guy had kings, we all shoved. He spiked the king on the flop, right? We were all in pre-flop and it happens, right? I'm over a four to one favorite, right? And I lose, right? And you go, oh, variance, variance, right? That's lower variance than DFS. So it's like, people want these correct, what's the correct, that? What's the exact number? Eight points? Is it eight? 8.2 is not enough. It's like, no, you have to weigh all of these variables. And the thing is, in 2023, 99% of the work is done for you. We've already converted player names into numbers. Sign up for Roto Grinders. Get our projections. We project ownership. Probably much better than you can. So you get that number. Right? If you want the context behind these numbers, we have articles. Jeez has million-dollar musings. There's nothing that he writes that I don't agree with. I mean, I don't want to say that 100%, but I read his stuff every day, almost every day. I want to be truthful. I don't read it every day. Everything they say, okay, this, this picture is a good play. That picture is a good play. This stack is, yeah, it's backed up by the projections, right? Well, this guy is a twenty-eight percent strikeout, right? And that's why that's why he projects well, right? So if you want the context behind it, we got that here at Road Atlanta, also. It's like all the work is done; all you have to do is just arrange the numbers better than than your opponents. And so many of your opponents are probably playing the wrong game; they're playing the what predict what's going to happen tonight game, and you're just playing the. I'm just playing a lineup that has higher probability of these payout spots, equity spots, that has more equity in the contest than what I'm putting in. And then just waiting for variance and surviving it and then collecting the money. That's it. It's a financial game, more than anything. Right, when people look at a projection, they go, well, Willie Adams projects for 12 points. It's like, no, that's not what, People think it's like, oh, well, he's gonna he's gonna score. You you think he's gonna score 12 points tonight? Like, no. All this means is based on all of the predictive power variables and covariance and everything, and the modeling and the weather and the everything, 50% of his outcomes are above 12. 50% are below 12. That's all that means. But people want, like, no, well, how many points are you gonna score tonight? That's who you're playing against. That's who 20 or 30% of the field that you're playing against. Don't be one of those people. Play the right game. That means you have to start asking the right questions. Questions that don't have a yes or no answer. Questions that don't have an exact number as an answer. Which also means that your question should also probably contain more context. I'm trying to do X. I have this and I'm doing that. And same thing for the ace queen example. You shouldn't be asking. There's a difference between asking, so how do you play ace-queen? And saying, okay, it was six-handed. We're playing very short stacked. Like the effective stack size is only $300, and it's a 2-5 game. And I'm on the button, and the cutoff raises to over-raises, right? It's 2-5, and he makes it 75 in the cutoff. And I'm on the button, and I have ace-queen. What would you do? And then you could go through It's like, okay, just shove for 300. You could call for 75. You're getting people like, there's more to consider. It's not just what do you do with ace queen? Because it depends on everything else that's going on and what the other variables are. So even if you do ask a question and you want to involve more context, that's perfectly fine. But you can't just say, how do you play ace queen? What poker tournament should I play? Like it depends on your risk tolerance, right? Top-heavy poker tournaments are much better for people that are good at playing shorthanded. Why would that be? Why would top-heavy payout structure tournaments be better for people that play shorthanded better? Well, because when, when's the when's the main when's the, practically the only time they're going to be playing a long time shorthanded at the final table. Meaning that the difference between ninth and first could be dramatic, and if you're really good at playing short-handed and heads up, that's that's where most of your edge is going to come from. So you'd rather first place be much higher than second. If you're the type of person that's like, I'm really good at playing the bubble, right? If you're really good at playing the bubble, like you much you much prefer a pay, a payout structure that gives you gives you less to I would say less people at the bubble than more. And you'd rather first place be much flatter. That's You do your best work then. I mean, like, it's the same thing. What, what's the best poker tournament? There's no answer to that question either. Okay. So asking, is, are we just going to call it asking good questions? I think so. Steve, asking good questions, maybe. Right? Tomorrow's Grinders Live, by the way. Right? So there, there won't be a pregame show. You will not see it at that thumbnail for this. But hit the thumbs-up button. Thummy thumbs, thummy thumbs, thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. <sighs> Grinders live tomorrow. We got, obviously, on the channel, we got Grinders live tonight for MLB. We got NBA playoffs. We got MMA. We got a pay-per-view card coming up. I'll be discussing the, the MLB, uh, the MMA slate on Friday, right, for the pay-per-view. But, obviously, get Roto-Grinders Premium. You get the Ground and Pound podcast, the Expert Survey all the premium stuff, right? The MMA and Crunch Time I'll do on Saturday also. Like, that's the only free MMA stuff that we have. Everything else is for premium members. Sign up for premium. Remember, I'm doing a coaching call in the Blender's Game Theory channel in the Roto-Grinders Discord, premium Discord, you got to pay, Uh, today at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm much nicer in those, right? I think people will say I'm much nicer in those. I'm but a little bit more laid back. Here, sometimes you just get you get sometimes you, sometimes you just you have certain days where you get emails and DMs and whatever, and it's just like like just stupid question after stupid question. And I know people mean better. I know they mean well. Like it's not against them. Just like like dude, I I have so much content. I think I have put out mo- more educational content on, on DFS than any person in history. If you combine everything else, I think there's, there's still more from me. And it's like, it's all out there, right? Just, just why can't you just get it? Then you realize it's like, oh, this, this is a much different game than what you thought it was. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I try to do here. I'm trying to help you, right? That's why you submit your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. I'll get more of them answered next week. And uh, yeah, because that's what I do here. Answer your DFS strategy questions Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com.